if we fast forward through time where every country has their own national currency network or digital currency network, there's going to be really rigorous standards. And we're now playing a role in developing those standards. So we're speaking with the mm. likes of the ISO and the ITU. We're following the literature and, and contributing to the literature. So it's really given us an opportunity to be at the forefront of developing the standards and best practices for central bank digital currencies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain and digital assets. In today's episode, we have a super panel featuring the ex-governor of the Barbados Central Bank, Dr. Delia Worrell, founder of Bit.com, Gabriel Abed, and the CBDO of Bit.com, Simon Chantry. I really enjoyed this episode because we uncovered the amazing story of how Gabriel and his team defied all odds with their crazy idea for central bank digital currencies and how they managed to get another approval from the governor of the central bank himself. We also look into how the events unfolded over the years, what the future holds for central bank digital currencies, and how Bit.com plans to implement central bank digital currencies across the Caribbean. Now, before we start, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, CoinsApp. CoinsApp is a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies based on the DAM blockchain ecosystem and payments infrastructure to empower billions of people to send money around the world in seconds. And guess what? This team are finally launching a product at the end of July, so do keep an eye out for the up-and-coming crypto payment app on the Apple and Google Store. Also, I'd really like to thank those who've been supporting the show. And remember, you could support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate, and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media, and any other way you feel like supporting. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast, where the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain and crypto assets. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Balaghi. Today, I'm super excited about this episode because I'm going to be learning something totally new, and so are you. And this is all about how Barbados was actually one of the first countries to start researching and thinking about and implementing a central bank digital currency. So I have three special guests with me, Dr. Delia Worrell, Gabriel Abed and Simon Chantry. So let's kick off with some introductions. Dr. Worrell, could you please quickly introduce yourselves and then we'll go to Gabriel and Simon. Hi, I'm Delisle Worrell. I am the former governor of the Central Bank of Barbados. I'm now an international economic consultant with my own website, DelisleWorrell.com. Hello, I'm Gabriel Abed. I'm one of the co-founders of Bit.com and currently vice chairman of the board of directors. Hi, everyone. Simon Chantry here, also one of the co-founders of Bit.com, currently leading our central banking relationships as CBDO. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. So first of all, I'd like to sort of go back all the way to 2014. So Dr. Dalal, you sort of were approached by Gabriel and the team about a Barbados digital fiat. So that seems like a lifetime ago, you know, a lot has happened since then. So could you sort of rewind back to then and sort of tell us how the first innings really got started? Thanks. From the beginning, I was quite excited by Gabriel's visit because I have been a lifetime central banker. I have to say that I spent more than 40 years in the field and include and also worked at the IMF for a decade on financial sector issues. 
And all through that time, I have, I'm not a specialist in payments, but I am concerned about the slow progress that the world has made mm-hmm. in modernizing payments. Mm-hmm. The systems of payments that we have, both nationally and internationally, are very antiquated, and they do not make use of the real power of communication that digital technologies make possible. And so when Gabriel first approached me, you know, I was only vaguely aware of blockchain and the possibilities that it offered, but it was immediately clear to me that this was a game changer as far as potential payments mechanisms were concerned. And so I was intrigued and sought to encourage him right from the beginning. The challenge, as you know, is that we operate in a world which is very nervous about fraud and the possibilities of fraud. So as a central bank governor and as a member of the Financial Action Task Force, the international watchdog about anti-money laundering and terrorist financing and so on, one had to be very careful. But I was also very impressed that right from the beginning, Gabriel was also very knowledgeable about what needed to be done to ensure that his initiative met all the international standards. So that's where it all started. Great. So Gabriel, if you could come in and sort of also describe, so from 2014, how you guys got sort of started until that monumental moment when in sort of 2016, (laughs) Dr. Worrell gave you guys the nod of approval to actually pursue the digital Barbados dollar. So back in... 2013 and 14, the blockchain industry was now starting to emerge with the type of utility products that could be built. And we were looking at so many different things. But one thing that stood out to us was the possibility of digitizing the national currency. And the reason for us for doing that or the desire for us was We wanted to create an an autonomous way that would allow a seamless flow between cryptocurrencies and national fiats, or at least that was our intention at the time. Uh, We Mm -hmm. felt it would be a very good solution to solve the remittance. Uh, We felt it would be the lowest cost remittance. So I personally approached Dr. Worrell in sometime 2014, and I think my memory is a little bit different than his. I recall Dr. Worrell, you have to forgive me, but I recall you telling me that the idea was crazy. And, and that the notion of a, a blockchain-based currency, I remember you liked the idea of mobile money and e-wallets. And you told me a story, I think it was about when you lived in Maryland and you had it there, but you didn't like the idea of blockchain-based digital assets. And to, your, and to your defense, many people in the world didn't know much about blockchain. It was a new subject. But, but to Dr. Worrell's point, he was encouraging. He did think the idea was crazy. He didn't encourage the blockchain end, but he encouraged the mobile money end and said Barbados needed such a solution. Yeah, so over those next two years, I'll fill in the gaps of what we did. And I mean, I think there was well over eight times that we would go back and forth between Dr. Worrell and the central bank to try to get an understanding or a direction of how we could build such a system out. Uh, Simon, I'd cede the floor to you before I go into the details. 
Yeah, thanks. I guess I was just reminiscing on, as you said, Gabe, back in those days, the state of the industry was much different than it is today. And so you think that news outlets now talk about Bitcoin in the context of drug dealing and money laundering. Back then, it was Mm -hmm. much worse. It was much worse. The Silk Road, you know, the Silk Road was still alive and well. It was just an entirely different environment. And the news that would come out, we we were a technology firm, still are, but we were a technology firm back then trying to build innovative solutions with both the technology and with Bitcoin at the time. And yet every negative news article that came out, we would get sort of lambasted for it. And it was very difficult to sort of persist through there. And it wasn't until we start to see layer two functionality on top of the Bitcoin mm-hmm. protocol. And then we were speaking with the Ethereum guys early on as well. And we recognized that the technology was evolving so that you could digitize any asset and any financial instrument for that matter. And the most obvious one seemed like national currencies. And then to the extent that we could meet some of the market problems throughout the Caribbean, which Dr. Well, you definitely know better than I do, but financial inclusion, you know, lack of instant payment networks and just dated financial system infrastructure that that really sort of forced us to move in, in that direction. Yes, and Gabriel's recollection is in fact correct. So, as I said, my enthusiasm always was for digital approaches that would yield us a better payment system. And as Simon mentioned, one of the important aspects of that was for the regional payment system. Mm -hmm. But Gabriel is absolutely right that my initial reaction to the blockchain was... Very negative. Very, very very negative. (laughs) But why? What was the sort of... um, Because it was for drug users and money laundering. uh, All the media was negative around it. That wasn't why. Because it was that... And I still have some reservations in terms of the complexity of the system. And so the thing that I found attractive was that it offered a solution to the problem of trust, which is at the root of all currencies. But it is a complicated solution, which people find it hard to understand. Mm. And and trust does depend on understanding. So those were the... Oh, wow. That is a statement and a half. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that remains a challenge with the blockchain per se. But what changed my view about the blockchain Mm -hmm. was that we have, which I instituted at the Central Bank, what is called a distinguished visiting scholar every year, you know, a leader in their field who spends some time with us talking about areas of his expertise. And the third visitor, who I think would have been in 2016, or maybe it's 2015, was Professor Simon Johnson of MIT who is one of the academic leaders in this whole issue of blockchains and digital currencies. And he had a diagram of the countries or where companies had established initiatives in the blockchain space mm-hmm. back then, in those very early days. And to my astonishment, and there were only 25 countries or something like that, and to my astonishment, one of those countries was Barbados. Yeah. So from then on, because, you know, it makes a difference to how people perceive your space, your competitiveness and so on. If you are seen as being in the forefront of a development, which is as seminal as this. So Dr. World, I'll never forget the day that you gave us the unofficial approval. And it was at some ceremony 
And I remember we were so frustrated as a company because we were we were just being stonewalled by the commercial banks. We felt like we were being passed between the Financial Services Commission and the <laughs> Central Bank, and no one knew how to manage us or no one wanted to manage us. And you were now looking to host, if I remember correctly, the Billion Dollar Dreams, or you had just hosted it. And I approached you at this seminar, and I said, Dr. Wall, you have preached and spoke about entrepreneurship. You have spoke about technology. And you've talked about building out an international global basis for Barbados. And we represent 100% of that. And right now, mm. we're about to go under if we don't get the support from you in at least allowing us to launch our, our mobile money e-wallet. And I think you looked at me and you said, Gabriel, I'm not <laughs> going to put my, my deck on a line for you, but I won't stop innovation either. So you, scared me. you scared me, Gabriel. <laughs> well, you know, so after the encounter with Professor Johnson and the recognition that you brought to our country by virtue of, and it wasn't only that, I mean, you had participated in other fora that I was aware of where there were interactions with governments and officials and so on. You know, you had established that as a Barbadian company, you were among the leaders, the world leaders in this field. And I couldn't let you go under. I knew that the Central Bank of Barbados did not then have and does not now have the mm. capacity to regulate a world-leading digital company. They lack, yeah. Yeah, and they have not taken steps to acquire the expertise, which will put them in a situation where they could answer to global concerns on the basis of an informed judgment about what you're you know, Dr. Wall, I usually want to stay away from the bureaucracy of such a conversation, but <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't say I completely agree with you. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsor, CoinsApp. CoinsApp is a global social payments application for cryptocurrencies based on the Dan blockchain ecosystem and payments infrastructure to empower billions of people to send money around the world in seconds. Huge shout out to the guys for building out their ecosystem and do make sure to check out the Google and Apple store as they're launching at the end of July. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I want to take I want to take this opportunity to say like this is awesome. I love stories like this because it really shows sort of people with genuine intentions, genuine ambitions really innovating at scale. And what I'm interested in is sort of just knowing about what the implications of a central bank digital currency in Barbados itself, like how does that sort of well, impact have to... the rest of the wider world, right? Like what comes in, what are the second order effects? Because I could see it happening regionally, mobile money, great, you know, people will be interacting all digitally and it makes lives really easy. But how does that really sort of transcend across boundaries? Right. If you don't mind, I'll take this one. And I mean, I did want to bring it back just because so when Dr. Worrell gave us that nod of approval, mm. it really did put a lot of wind in our sails in yeah. moving forward. And so we went and digitized the Barbados dollar on colored coins. We rolled it mm -hmm. out. That attracted a multi-million dollar investment from Overstock.com, their blockchain-based venture capital subsidiary, yeah. Medici. So a large foreign direct investment into Barbados. 
And that really got us started in terms of developing the entire central bank digital currency ecosystem. So all the software required for a central bank to interact with their own blockchain for their own digital currency, commercial bank applications, and then building out the mobile wallet and the merchant app and all the tools that are required to interact with the digital currency at each level in the economy. And I did want to mention one anecdote, you know, opening up these services in Barbados, one of the most more rewarding things that we would hear in the early days, because we were doing both digital Barbados dollars and Bitcoin exchange, what we would hear from some vendors, because if you know, Ahmed, in the Caribbean, maintaining payment services can be quite difficult. And, you know, firms get de-risked all the time. The requirements are, Mm. you could call them unreasonable in some cases. And so could you shed some light on the requirements just to sort of give a bit of background? Well, in some cases, just if you are part of the region, you can sign Mm -hmm. up for a payment service and receive the service for some time. And then when that firm goes to do a compliance check, you can be de-risked, meaning you have your services just removed. And when they do assessments, this is where some of the international bodies who assign countries to either gray lists or blacklists, these things fluctuate. Mm -hmm. And when those rulings come out, the payment service providers have to adjust. And oftentimes, merchants find themselves without payment gateways to receive payments, which is obviously incredibly problematic. And so Mm -hmm. I like to share an anecdote that in the early days, Bit sort of attracted three types of customers. One, it was technology enthusiasts who wanted to play around the technology and saw that it was promising. Two, it was speculative investors. So there were people who wanted to get into Bitcoin. They recognized the value. They thought they were early and they wanted to get in. But third was my favorite. It was merchants who had been de-risked and came to us and said, hey, I have a client in Europe who wants to pay me, but I have my PayPal account's been shut down or I can't, you know, my credit card processor, you know, they won't service me anymore. So they've asked mm-hmm. if I can take Bitcoin. And so we would get them through the, the Bitcoin exchange and get them out into digital Barbados dollars and boom, they can pay their staff, they can pay their vendors. And so that was, now I'm talking about two separate products, right? A Bitcoin exchange mixed with digital national currency, digital Barbados dollars. But the point is, is we were able to ensure business continuity for a number of people in Barbados. So that, you know, we, which is absolutely, uh, absolutely crucial. Yeah. Yeah. And we did take, as Simon rightfully said, Dr. World giving us that nod of approval but wind in our sails. The unfortunate reality of it all, though, is that what we got the approval for was not a central bank digital currency. It was a synthetic version of it. It was, we held the reserves ourselves. The reserves weren't held with Mm. central bank. The money wasn't issued by central bank. It was issued by a private company. And furthermore, this wasn't in writing by the central bank. All we had was a nod of approval of a governor. And so when we went to other central banks, it would oftentimes come down to, can we see what your governor gave you approval for? Mm-hmm. And, and I think Governor World, the sad part about this is we had been working with you since 2014. And by 2017, I think we had put a proposal in your desk to do a full legal tender, what would be the first in the world. Mm. And I think weeks later, the unfortunate event of the Ministry of Finance. Ahmed, the irony of it all, you want to hear the irony? Weeks after we put a proposal on Dr. World's desk for a digital fiat currency issued by the central bank. When was this exactly? This would have been early 2017. Okay, all right. Just shortly after that, Dr. World decided he was going to be defiant to the Ministry of Finance, to the Minister of Finance, and he refused to inflate the money supply by printing more money at the request of the ministry. Mm. And as a result, 
ministerfire.world. Oh, wow. So our proposal died. But the truth of the matter is, that is the reality, that central banks operate, as I said, in an international environment where they have to be very careful to reassure the public about the probity and integrity of their payments systems. Yeah. That is especially difficult to do in the digital area because there is so little understanding, even among and especially among leaders of opinion who honestly do not understand what this is all about. And within the last, I would say only in the last year or two, has the idea of a central bank digital currency gained mm -hmm. international approval. In 2017, the only country that I can think of that was seriously engaged with a pilot would have been Sweden. And they were mm. doing it out of necessity because the currency had virtually gone out of existence and people who didn't have bank accounts really could not buy or sell anything. So there was still an international climate of, of suspicion. So it would have been impossible for the supervisors of the Bank of Barbados to explain why and what it was that we were providing which in a way that would have maintained confidence in the Barbados dollar. That is actually the reality. So even if I had stayed, I'm afraid So that Dr. Wall, the reality of it is the reality of it is yeah. if Dr. Timothy Antoine did not see a future in this, we possibly may never have gotten through at the Central Bank of Barbados. Right. And going back to my comment just a while ago, the climate has changed now. Central bank digital currencies are now accepted in a way that they were not at the beginning mm. of 2017. I am a member of the Bermuda Monetary Authority. They have a financial policy council. And so I'm aware that in Bermuda, for example, they are seriously considering, or at least they were, I'm not sure that they will go ahead with the notion. Not because they are afraid of the idea of central bank digital currency, but because they don't find that there is a rationale for them to go in that direction in terms of their own, what is their priority for payments at the moment. Great. And just to sort of rewind a bit to what you said, Gabe, you mentioned Timothy Antoine, who's the governor of the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. He's, he's the governor. Honestly, before this conversation, I didn't realize how critical it was for everything that happened subsequently, that you were able to move forward at the time that you were. And I'm very happy about the fact that Timothy Antoine has taken advantage of the changed circumstances to give you an opportunity in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been incredibly progressive. When you look at the central banks right now who mm. are experimenting, it's grown over the last, let's say, six months. But, mm -hmm. you know, prior to sort of late 2019, it was still not really being discussed with too much seriousness. Yeah. And Governor Antoine to move forward in February of 2019 like he did, was, but he was certainly well ahead of the curve. And what does it mean for Governor Antoine to sort of pursue the first legal tender central bank digital currency, which is now, of course, being spearheaded by you guys at BIT? What does that mean for you guys as a company, for the region itself, and for even, you know, other countries as central banks to also look at this as a case study? 
So really interested to yeah. hear thoughts from you, Simon, and Dr. Wall on this. For sure. Yeah, thank you. Dr. Wall, did you want to did you want to go first? Or do you yes, to... I think that, that there is now a lot of excitement about digital currencies on the whole because of Libra and Facebook's oh, yeah. <laughs> initiative in that area. And that brought everybody up short. And what people realize is that there is a powerful case to be made for digital currencies. And they realize that in a way, practical way that they hadn't before. It is mm. partly, as Simon alluded to earlier, to facilitate access to international payments in the face of the global wave of de-risking of enterprises and so on, particularly small enterprises and enterprises in less accessible and developing areas. And also to give access to facilitate payments of remittances and other transactions. And so, as Simon rightly said, and Timothy is, you know, I have a lot of respect for Timothy because he is a forward-looking person. And he was a bit ahead of the curve in terms of recognizing that it could be an important mechanism for some of the smaller places within the Eastern Caribbean where a banking office is not conveniently located for the benefits of small businesses in particular. And so he was prepared to take, to take that plunge. But I'm sure that he also still continues to face the challenges of people who are a bit more skeptical about the whole enterprise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, Amit. Yeah. Did you want to say something, Simon, before I go on to the next question? Yeah, for sure. I think on the, you know, you were asking what it means to the region, what it means for everybody involved. The reason why, or rather one of the reasons why central bank digital currencies has gained sort of steam over the last, I would say, roughly a year it's really picked up is partially what Dr. Worrell mentioned in, in the fact that Libra, a large international social mm. platform with over 2 billion users, once they realized that they could harness the technology behind cryptocurrencies, basically, or at least elements of it to provide an international payment system that really scared a lot of central bankers and regulators because it sort of challenges the ability for them to effectively achieve their mandate of regulating mm. the monetary supply and being sort of the go-to body for economic stability, if not economic growth in their countries. And so when you have a private institution that already has billions of users, it's quite a proposition for regulators and central banks to come up against. I was at a, an OECD forum one time when Libra was announced and the French finance minister in his opening speech for the forum said, I will make sure with my German counterpart that Libra does not roll out in Europe. <laughs> he was adamant. And yeah. so Libra was certainly part of the impetus for central banks to move this way, but so is China, right? China's moving yeah. with their own digital currency, and we suspect that they will use that digital currency or rather encourage, and I say that sort of as a loaded word, they'll encourage <laughs> their trading partners to integrate with their digital currency in order to be able to trade. And so there's sort of these two big forcing functions, but also the underlying technology, it effectively leverages the internet as a payments protocol. And as Dr. Well put it, sort of it solves the issue of trust or can, if it's configured correctly, it can solve the issue of trust. And so what it means for a bit is before launching the Barbados dollar and, and getting in with the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank, a lot of this was proposals. It was us thinking through the ideas, playing around with the technology. But as we move into developing this to an enterprise level, 
right? Because keep in mind, these networks will likely be classified as critical infrastructure. If we fast forward through time where every country has their own national currency network or digital currency network, there's going to be really rigorous standards. And we're now playing a role in developing those standards. So we're speaking with the mm. likes of the ISO and the ITU. We're following the literature and, and contributing to the literature from Bank for International Settlements, the World Economic Forum, the OECD, et cetera. So it's really given us an opportunity to be at the forefront of developing the standards and best practices for central bank digital currencies. So yeah, we're very grateful to have had that opportunity and to be set on this trajectory. Absolutely. No, that's really great to hear. And I wanted to sort of just dig a bit deeper into where are you guys at bit with the current implementation of this legal tender? I assume sort of tech is ready. Are you guys in testing phase? Are you launching soon? Can you share that information? Yeah, sure. So there's already training and onboarding going on for mm -hmm. all of the pilot participants. So from the central bank to the commercial banks and credit unions to merchants and wallet users. So yeah, there's already significant training and we're looking to do sort of the public launch next month. COVID has been difficult to work around. Ideally, you want to be in person doing these trainings and onboarding. Yeah. But so, you know, having to do everything virtual and remote has been a bit of a challenge, but we're working through it. So, yeah, I suspect that we will be able to launch sometime next month. Oh, awesome. That is mm. absolutely amazing to hear. I'm really looking forward to that launch. I mean, I'd love to get you guys back on to sort of review that as well. Well, I mean, I guess we're nearing the end of the podcast and really I'd like to thank all of you gentlemen for putting the time to share your stories. I really enjoyed it and I'm sure that the audience will as well. Before we wrap up, you know, if anybody wanted to get in contact with you guys, how could they do that? Twitter, email, if they wanted to sort of ask any burning questions and connect. Sure, you can reach me at simonetbit.com very easily. Yeah, email's probably best. I'm not too active on, on social media. How about you, Dr. Worrell? Yes, I'm at info at delileworld, that's one word, dot com, or you can just Google and you'll get my website and you can contact me from there. You can find me on LinkedIn or just email me, gabriel at bitt.com, gabriel at bit.com. So awesome. thanks guys for the opportunity and all the best, Gabriel and Simon. All the best, guys. So Thank bye -bye. you. Take care. Bye-bye.